0: What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today on the show we have Ron Thompson, a retired strength and conditioning coach with quite the resume. So, without further ado, welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, Rick. I appreciate you having me, and you know, enjoy talking and get everything out. I guess oh, we are,
0: man. <clears throat> I mean, we've been we had to, we had to start this podcast because this guy is just a wealth. Of information and uh, we're gonna get into some crazy stories but I guess the first question I want to ask you is how did you get involved in the strength conditioning world what kind of what pulled you toward it
1: well in my my beginning of my career and everything is uh, you know I came out of high school and we had a different I'm just giving you a long story please is that you know 1969 when I started high school um, we had a coach um, that just he learned these things but we didn't do a lot of things that kids are today Mm -hmm. what we would do is five days a week we'd show up at 6 6 p.m for our conditioning workout and lifting and what that came down to be is that by the time he got us there we got organized he talked to us about that day's workout we'd always start that workout with a mile run okay every single day and it wasn't a mile around a track it was a mile up and down hills around our campus <laughs> and back to the weight room okay. and time 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 5 days a week and <clears throat> you had to improve those then he broke you into groups and we had the old if you know this or not <clears throat> the old universal Machine. Okay. You sit down, do bench. You got to sit down, stand up. You know, uh, shoulders. You got leg press on a machine. You got a few dumbbells. You got a few barbells. Nobody did Olympic lifts back okay. then. Nobody understood that. You know, we just busted our ass doing a lot of running, a lot of drills. Um, you know, we used the uh, old uh, axle thing where we s- s- tie ourselves up to a rope and run with the resistance rope okay, back and forth and doing those things. We did that for an hour. So that was our conditioning. And we went to the state championships two out of four years and, <clears throat> you know, made a difference out of it. Um, you know, from that standpoint, then I just went on to college mm-hmm. and at college, It was pretty much the same. They'd they'd run us doing things in certain ways. And they had a, you know, our offensive line coach had a certain lifting. We didn't power clean. We benched. We squatted. You know, those kind of things. We did a lot, a lot of exercises. And that was it. But I got to know more about training. Yeah. I I learned why you did it for football and and so on and so forth. So then once I got done at college, I played rugby for a while, both no shit, in no shit, both so at I. my city and 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 uh, club uh, team at Cal Poly. Then I got a chance to go to Europe and play, and South Africa and play for four months, five months. So I had all that, and came back and played a little bit more. So I, I probably played about six, seven years, just off and on, and what, it was a great What position? Because
0: I played rugby, I was a fullback. Well,
1: I was uh, I was what's called a half. Okay. And I don't know what they call it today. You are on the line. You are a back. I was right off the edge of the back okay. uh, of the scrum. Okay. Right guy, right off the edge. Okay. We call them a half, you See, know, that type of thing. But anyway, um, you know, just got used to training and, and understanding that and why it was important. And I was starting coaching. So as I got back and started coaching, I was at the high school level. Mm-hmm and everywhere i went you know coaches say well you're really into this you know how to do this you take care of it so i took care for the the programs and everywhere i went in high school that's what i did they just knew i liked it i enjoyed it we did it we moved on and that type of thing and mm-hmm. then from there i went to you know smu in dallas and <clears throat> you know got into that and it was more of a job and make a long story short, people have asked me, this, was, this is an example how, how long ago I've asked, been asked this question, but I had it done three weeks ago. I was in Phoenix, and I was in Phoenix with a friend that I coached with at the last job I had, and she's an administrator, head softball coach. So she invited me down there for the week to speak to their coaches and players and it's an n a i a school that just started up two year, two weeks uh, two two years ago okay so I brought up to a lot of just all day long just co- constant talk 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 to all these coaches about how are you going to do this and they asked me questions because i 'm not going to tell them what they need to do I want them to, I want to know what they want to know, and they had to actually rent a You know, a gym in town by you know the public facility, Mm -hmm. but they had it for them, so I had to get them organized as far as what you can do out of that gym. Give them technique sessions and talk to the kids about nutrition, and did that for three days. So you know, I've just learned it that way and and found it out that that's that's just what I need to do.
0: So so your first, so what year were you at SMU? Uh, Eighty-one. So this is right. As the, they were given the death penalty, correct? No. Okay.
1: Well, let, let's put it this way. When I came in with the staff that I, I didn't come in with, but I came in with that staff after I got the job, they, we came in, and then that next June, which was just a few months, mm-hmm. they had just gotten off the probation from the previous coach.
0: By the NCAA. And, and I right. want to pause here real quick for the listeners that aren't familiar with this. Southern Methodist University is a university in Dallas, Texas, and they were given the death penalty by the <clears throat> NCAA. Uh, and that means they got all basically no athletic scholarships, I think, for, I don't know, the period of time. Two years. Yeah, two years. Two years. So they had no... Uh, full ride scholarships for any uh, any athletics, collegiate athletics, and that killed the program essentially. But you were there right as this was going on.
1: You yeah, know, like I said, a few months after we all got going for the next, you know, the '82 season, mm-hmm. we came off the probation they just got off of from the pr- fr- previous coach. Okay, <clears throat> so we went on and you know went with it and. Actually got off the probation. I'm saying so we were eligible, and uh, won the title. You know, two years in a row, bowl games, and name it. <clears throat> and uh, you know, the long story of the death death penalty, and you know how the whole thing the you know came down from the NC2A is that through this whole time before I arrived and after I arrived, the stories and different things that took place kind of you know just moved itself forward to the point where by 85 we had another major big incident by a a former staff member and uh, a former player that just bombarded it out to the public and Mm -hmm. you know television and just set everything out and by then the nc2 and we had to go in front of them in a you know board meeting and everything and they finally just came down with the death penalty
0: were you so you were were you participating in any of these board meetings and another question I want to ask is, without obviously revealing any names or anything like that, um, what kind of shit did you see at the, <laughs> I mean, this is Texas. this is in the eighties man you got cocaine coming up from columbia it 's a wild fucking time, yep, and you were there right in the middle of this so what kind of what 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 sort of things did you
1: see well, I mean you know. The first thing that I would have gathered and saw and listened to from players, coaches at the time we had new guys, the new coaches that we had coming in with that staff after Ron Meyer had left and gone to the New England Patriots, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and LeBaron Carruthers, who's a longtime strength coach, still is, and you know, kinda, I think he's over in China coaching right now, as oh, a matter wow. of fact, that uh, he kind of just let me know, hey, listen, you're going to see some shit that... You may or may not know of or heard of, but, you know, you're going to see it and hear about it, and so so be it. You know, I'm kind of sitting there, and I was only 27 years old. Okay. So, I mean, it was different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, fine. Well, there's Eric Dickerson, there's Craig James, there's Michael Carter, there's Russell Carter, there's Wes Hopkins, there's Ron Morris, you know, uh, the uh, quarterback, McElhaney, the whole thing. And just listening to everybody talk day after day, I'm thinking, well, something, something's about to happen. Well, in front of our weight room was a big group of windows that you looked out in the parking lot. So now I start seeing guys drive up, and back then, you know, the early 80s, the and 280Zs yeah, were yeah, flying yeah. up, and everybody's driving one <laughs> brand-new one. I mean, Craig had a... <clears throat> Craig had a... Uh, 944 porsche and uh, let's see no eric had a had a eric had a red corvette okay craig came in with a 944 red porsche and michael carter came in with a big brown dot town car and all these guys and then their clothing was just so immaculate from yeah. college guys jewelry everywhere and then you started hearing stories about how did you get that car well my my grandmother, my aunt got it for me through her loan I'm like, <laughs> and you just hear this. so that's that's how I first got my impression of mm-hmm. just day to day. Then as time went on, you know through the year, through the next year, on and on, <clears throat> I mean we we'd have stories where guys are getting drugs, cocaine, some yeah. guys were bad at it. You know, We had a basketball team that we played number two and we lost to uh, Patrick Ewing okay. in the NC2A tournament. And I went with him up to Spokane to play. We're playing Patrick Ewing. We lose 36 we lose 34. We slowed the ball down for those guys. And they went on to win the national title yeah, that year.
0: Georgetown. But we
1: had a guy named uh, F- uh, Wright. Um, what was his last first name? Uh, Corey Wright uh, his last name was Wright he was a forward Mm -hmm. hell of a player he'd have so many arguments with the head coach that was there that they get in arguments all the time but he was on cocaine all the time (gasps) kids would tell us about it and all this kind of stuff and you know that stuff went on and there were a couple of football players not many that would do that but a few you'd find out about and so you'd see stuff like that and uh you know, it just goes on to things like, well, how did this kid get a car? How did this kid get a house? Oh, wow. Well, here's a story on a house. I go, I'm going home one night, and I go back to the locker room, the coach's locker room, and I sit down. And as I'm sitting right where we are right now, just at my locker right next to us, is one of our assistant coaches and one of our big boosters. We had like four boosters that were just huge big-time money guys. Mm-hmm. And this guy's on the phone with a kid and his father who were in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And they're saying, hey, uh, I'm going to get so-and-so, the booster, on the phone with you and tell him how you're going to get everything done, how it's all going to be taking uh, you know, effect and what's, what's going to happen. So they they get on the phone and I sit there for probably 15 minutes. And this booster tells the father, says, listen, we've got your car. We've got, your car. We've got you a house. And, and this guy was in Pittsburgh in a steel mill that hadn't worked for three or four years. Mm-hmm. So they're just hungry. Kid's a big offensive lineman, not real big. We had, we had humongous linemen. I mean, big. So this, this kid came... And they got him to move the family out, put them in a house. The father had work at the Cotton Bowl as a facilities guy, and they did this. Now, we get into camp, coming into camp that year. This was in the spring. Going into camp that spring or that summer, kids come out of high school with a bad knee. So we're going to rehab and probably sit him out for a year. Mm -hmm. He goes out to see practice. He sees who we have they are not only some of them playing in the NFL, but some are like, we have the USA number one athlete of the year as our offensive tackle. And uh, he, uh, he just, you know, comes in and finds out, oh, I'm not going to play here. He ends up going to. Sean. Sean Stopperich. Yeah. And he ends up going back home, and he goes to Pitt. And so now the NCAA at that time were back in the day where they're going to investigate the highest-ranked recruits, and if they're at the place or they leave a place like he did, they're going to come over and do a thorough investigation of the kid, and he, he basically tells them, Snitched. but they couldn't, but they couldn't do anything. They okay. just hadn't. They had no solid proof mm-hmm. other than what he did, and you know that kind of thing. And you know it just goes on from there. I mean, talk about well. Here's an example. we 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 the first. The first year we had gotten there, we won the 82 uh, Southwest Conference title, and we're going to play in the Cotton Bowl, the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, the old one. And we're playing Pitt with Dan Marino and that crew. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we have our last practice of that bowl practice, and we come in the weight room, I get everybody organized, we just bust up. We're just going to mull around the room and do like a little circuit, keep everybody organized, all the coaches in there. And every booster we had was in that room in suits. Back then, you could they could be with you. Nowadays, you can't be around. Yeah. And we're just playing the music loud as can be. And I'm down at one end of the room, about from here to the wall, and I'm standing next to the leg machines. Well, there's Eric Dickerson sitting there just doing his leg extension, and I'm just standing around. And all of a sudden, one of the big boosters walks up and says, hey, Eric, great job in that last game. You know, you got so many yards, you got uh, so many touchdowns, we just finished playing Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And uh, he pulls out this legal envelope out of his jacket, and hands it to Eric, and he sticks it down. And they all wore those socks that went to your knees. Mm-hmm. So he stuck it down in his sock. So later in the day, I'm walking around the room, just keeping everybody going. I walk by Eric again, and I said, hey, "Eric, what did uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it, you know the booster." And I said, "What did he give you?" He goes, "Oh, he gave me fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> because I had so many yards and this and that." And and the funny thing was, receivers, backs, DBs, you know those kind of they all got some type of money mm-hmm. for what they got in yards and touchdowns and so on and so forth. But what's so funny, you go to the off season, and the offensive line and defensive line are so pissed off, they're not getting any money. Yeah. They're making all these blocks and this and that, and it, it raised all kinds of hell, but it was fun. So those are were, those were just a lot of things that led up to the point where the one kid that was heavy into cocaine, he was a decent player. He was from Angleton, Texas, down south, and he just got so fed up with it that he decided, I'm leaving, and they kind of pushed him out. And then later on, one of the uh, academic counselors, this woman, knew that she was getting the shit end of something about how she was getting her job and Mm -hmm. keeping her job. She went all the way up to Denver where the kid was living at that time and told him, hey, I got somebody at... uh, you know the ABC TV station there in Dallas, whatever it might be, and they're going to give us ten thousand dollars if you'll come back and we both come and sit down and talk about no. that. and they did. They had a huge, oh, big television thing, and it just escalated everything to the point where now the you know the institute, they ha-
0: their hands are tied. They got to yeah, do something about it. Yeah, it.
1: it got pretty sick, yeah. you know because everybody knew all. Along. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Texas didn't get anything and all these other people, they got caught doing things. And then there was just a lot of other stuff as far as during that whole time period where you're trying to recruit the best kids you can get in in Texas is, um, you know, we'd have coaches getting fistfights with another school who were at a high school recruiting a kid, and uh, we had a nose tackle named Jerry Ball. Mm -hmm. And he went on to play for different – I don't know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, different teams. And uh, he was coming out of high school. So one of our guys were there recruiting him. And the high school coach told all these coaches, I mean, the whole place was full of coaches. And, and Jerry's one of the guys they want to talk to. So he says, listen, whoever's going in, you got 10 minutes and you're out because I'm not going to let you sit in there and talk, talk, talk until, you know. So one of our our, our guy was in there talking to him. And he was like a minute or two over. The, and, and one of the coaches from TCU went in and banged the door down and just cussed him out about, you're taking too long with him and all that gives, don't worry about it, I'm leaving now. And we got him. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Another incident, we had uh, John Lott. Long time uh, through his career at Texas uh, was a 7-foot a high jumper mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a DB and he was from Refugio, way down south in the, you know Texas. Well, we were we had him all solid, ready to come. Comes down to s- signing day. And see, back then coaches could go to the school and be with the kid if they wanted. Sign, yeah. But <clears throat> the kid went to the coach went to Refugio to find him. Couldn't find him anywhere in town. Asked, "Where is he?" Oh, I don't know. He should have been here and there never could find him so he comes back and they're all pissed off now you know well texas got him put him in san uh um uh, san antonio on a hotel and locked him in for the day <laughs> till he signed with them i mean that kind of stuff what? went on are you seriously <laughs> yeah they they actually just you know kidnapped him and just said hey we're gonna have you and he decides he wants to go and that kind of thing and so from that standpoint that's 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 kind of the stuff that went on besides just you know just normal general things but recruiting was a wide open field.
0: Fucking Texas, man. Oh yeah. That's yeah. that's what it is. But
1: I mean it was it was Arkansas it was yeah. but everybody, you know, yeah. Oklahoma, Oklahoma oh, yeah. had stuff going oh, yeah. on. It's
0: unbelievable. I mean, I heard a story um about the University of Oregon where they you you remember Jonathan Smith running back? Um, oh yeah. Yeah they wrote they made they sent him a personalized superhero magazine where he was the superhero mm-hmm. and that was totally legal but the NCAA found it about that and they're like yeah that's too much mm-hmm. i mean and they self-penalize themselves for it's it's. it's and that amazing. was that was so
1: minor cool. compared to what you know things like that. I do
0: have a, another kind of a bizarre question for you. This just popped in my head. I just finished this book called Shoe Dog, and you're this is in the '80s, so Nike is just now finding its prominence. Did you see that influx of? Uh, them in the collegiate sports era, like in the eighties, did you did you see any of the Nike? guys? Yeah, Nike, because they spread fucking money around like it was not. It was crazy.
1: Well, even at SMU at that time, we had Nike. Okay, we had Nike, not like you'd have today for yeah. many schools, but we had Nike and you know just just real real mo- But a lot of it was like um, um, Russell, yeah, champion. Mm-hmm. Like when we went to SMU or not SMU but Purdue we were in champion at that time and right after the year we uh finished uh the cotton not the cotton bowl the uh rose bowl in 2001 we shifted over and got on to Nike for the very first time mm-hmm. and probably still are that way and you know so many are yeah. i mean the bigger people are i mean you can go to places like Oregon's got an ungodly amount of stuff. You know, Oregon State will just get so much, but not the same. (laughs) Ohio State, North Carolinas, uh, basketball. You can go to Kansas and different places aren't maybe Adidas, but they might be Nike. They're getting so much.
0: Oh, yeah, they're they're getting just so much money spread Mm -hmm. around. And it is interesting that you got to see all of that. So you, from SMU that kind of tumultuous time did you find it was hard for you to get a job was it was your reputation sort of tarnished
1: no it wasn't everybody was kind of really perked up about like oh my god you know you guys and you know some guys might I never really went across it but I would think there'd be some out there like well screw them you know that's what happened uh, but in my job, no, I just had to look around, and I went up to the University of Wyoming. Okay. So,
0: well, was there any good players at that time? I mean, at uh, did, would you did you feel? I mean, you you didn't have a choice; you had to leave, right? Because yeah, we all there's, got you're, pushed you're, out. Yeah, you're a man yeah. that's interested in winning and yeah. developing the best talent, obviously. Yeah. So, but what was that like going to Wyoming? Because I would have been like, man, fuck this! Like well, negative you know, seventy it, degrees. It, it
1: was what it was. Yeah. You know, and and that's. In coaching, you go where you got to go, yeah. okay? And so I really enjoyed Wyoming. Really? I really enjoyed it. I liked the area, you know, and it was high altitude and all that, but I enjoyed it, I and mean, it wasn't the same program. It was really down. Uh, I had Eric Lechner in basketball who went on to play, you know, in different games, Fennis Dembo who played for the Detroit Pistons. Mm-hmm. People like that that were really, really good football was uh just very average yeah. you know type thing but uh I, I enjoyed it we just didn't stay there long a lot of coaching problems there that coaches got fired and we ended up going to uh University of Northern Colorado in Greeley okay and that's where Mike Riley at one point was and I wasn't there very long because I got the job a better job to go back to Marshall University in West Virginia So we went, and it was closer for my wife to be to her parents in North Carolina and things like that. And I was building a program. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I don't say much, but a lot of people that really know me, they call me the architect. Okay. And the reason they call me the architect is because I go to places that I start a program. Like I'm the first guy ever to have a coach I'm the first guy that comes in and starts a program, gets a room organized or whatever may take take its place. So at Marshall, I did the same thing. I was the first strength coach there and got it going. And, you know, we won the uh, Southern Conference in basketball year after year after year. We had great players. Uh, You know, uh, football was... Up and coming, and I don't know if you know about Marshall's mm-hmm. history. but Wasn't in it, 1970 plane, yeah, they had plane a plane crash. by yeah. we'd have, you know, every every uh, November, um, November 14th, we'll have the announcement that the fountain goes down to acknowledge that the death, and in April it's coming back to life, and mm-hmm. so you know, I've been through there. I walk by that uh, bull board. Everything about that plane crash every single day. I'd walk by and read it, walk by and read it read it. so I know that thing backwards and forwards. people that have been there before we talk about it every day yeah every day you know we just we just did. So we got the program going and we started and we had their first winning season since the plane crash. okay and then this moves on to 87. we just get hot we have some injuries get you know uh, better. And by the time we make the playoffs, we make it to the national championship game. And we played Northeast Louisiana at that time for one Mm double-A. And we lose by one. Oh, But, you know, you have that kind of thing. Then all of a sudden the Boise State job comes. And, uh, you know, I had played at Boise from being at Cal Poly and, you know, that kind of thing. And I knew that they had a pretty good program. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I'm going to look into this. So I call Skip Hall, the head coach, up. And I get him on the phone, you know, and um, I said, Coach, you don't know me, but I'm at Marshall. He goes, Man, you guys had a hell of a year. And I said, Yes, sir. I, you know, I came in and we did this, and you know, everybody, it, it, a lot of luck came our way. But I'm interested in what you might be doing there and everything. And he just decides, you know what? As soon as we're done with this conversation, I'm going to call the AD. I'm going to fly you out here and interview. And we did. Got the job, you know. And then John was born in in uh, Boise, at, you know, later and. We stayed there for eight years and headed back to Auburn, and you know I'd go on from there to Purdue. Mm-hmm. And from Purdue, after 13 years, I'd go uh, to a Division Three school in Iowa that uh, we had a situation at Purdue that we all kind of got pushed out and, you know, like it or not, And I went to a D3 school, enjoyed that, went to uh, uh, Wisconsin-Milwaukee for basketball. There And then I went to uh, the Univers- uh, New Mexico Highlands University Division II school down in Las Vegas, New Mexico. And that's where I ended up just retiring and yeah. coming.
0: So I want to go back to Purdue. Were you there at the same time Drew Brees was?
1: Yep. I came in with Drew as a uh, sophomore. Okay. And finished him out and the whole... What was his work ethic like? Oh, uh, people ask that all the time. I'm just and like, yeah. He's just unbelievable. I mean, very very well-mannered, polite, you know. His effort, the best way I can explain it to kids that ask me that is that he's the first guy in, he's the last guy out. He he approaches kids not with a a shakedown, ya-ya-ya kind of guy, but I've watched him jump on people when they needed to be jumped on in a practice or a game, and they got the attention. But otherwise, he'd be in there just working and working and working, and people would just take adna- you know advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And then we had, we had a lot of good athletes in there. You know, Aiken, Adele that played. And we had, we had, four guys out of maybe more years than that, but at least four guys I can remember were Big Ten players a year on defense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All played you know in the NFL. You know, and played for a number of different people. So.
0: That's so nutty. Um, and then before the podcast, we are kind of talking, you coached DeMarcus Ware in high school?
1: Yeah, I had DeMarcus Ware in high school and uh, had him for two years, and he did a tremendous job. He was just a young kid that had a lot of talent, body was changing, you know, his, his ability on the field changed. And, you know, like I was saying before, I had a big offensive guard that played for me at Marshall, and he was re- he was at Georgia. Mm-hmm. but he'd gotten fired at Georgia, so he was now at Troy. And so he's just calling me up at Purdue saying, what, what do you know about DeMarcus and what can help? He says, he's kind of on the fence. I said, yeah, exactly, he's on the fence. He could have gone, you know, in recruiting, he'll either go one way and get you know, stuck on the other side of the track or he'll go the other way and he'll be just fine. So he got him, talked into it, and told him that, you know, what I had said... Mm-hmm. He went on to Troy and the rest is history and what he did in the NFL.
0: Yep, won a Super Bowl with uh Denver. Yeah. 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 As a as he was my like I idolized him in high school. Oh, yeah. Just he was just a monster. Sure. I loved him to death. I yeah. and you also coached O. C. Uminura?
1: O. C. Uminura and here's a here's a funny thing about him. He, you know, I've got I've got weight training all day. We had the block system. I don't know if you know that, where you had 90 minute classes. Okay. So I had three a day, and I'd have every athlete we had, and obviously football. So i go and one day he starts walking in. He's big, tall. You know, he's not real heavy, but he's tall. He's just athletic. And so I went to the head coach. I said, man, you got to see this kid. We got to get him on the football field. I mean, he looks good. And so he talked him into coming out. So after this time period comes, and we're in spring ball, we're down on the field, and I'm warming the team up, and I look around, and I look to one of the coaches and said, where's Osi? I don't know. Where is he? So I got the stretch done, and I walked back up to the field house. He's sitting in the locker room with his hands on his knees just looking at the floor. What? And I walked in. I said, Osi, what are you doing? What's wrong? He goes, coach. Coach, what do I do with this shit? There's pads, (laughs) shoulder pads, helmets, knee pads, thigh pads. Coach, I don't know what to do. I said, Yeah, you played soccer, so you don't know anything. I said, Here's how you put it on, put it on. We go out to practice, and the rest is history. He finds his way, and he learns how to play it, and goes on and Comes the NFL guy with the Giants. He's a man
0: yeah, he with Super Bowl. He's a monster. Was yeah. it defensive end or D? De- yep, you know, yep. Just, at, just what a. It's so crazy. Yep. It's yep. interesting. That some of these guys in the pros, like Steven Paya for Oregon State, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he didn't play football until like his senior year. There's Mm -hmm. a few freaks like that that find the game later in life and then are are learning it in college and still learning it in the pros. It's it's unbelievable. Were you at Marshall when Randy Moss was there, no, oh, no dude, no, it's way I would have lost my fucking him. mind if you <laughs> would have said <laughs> yes. i been like,
1: no way. No, I had uh, I had one of our wide receivers, Mike Barber. He's okay. a college football Hall of Famer. That's so nice. Yeah, after that year, we went to the national title and lost it by one, but it was good. Yeah, and then we had at Auburn, we had Marcus Washington. Okay, did a great job. Got himself, went over to Auburn, played at Auburn, went on to. You know, the, Washington, the Indianapolis Colts. John actually has a picture. We went to Colts his rookie year because it was only two hours from Purdue. Mm-hmm. And he's standing there with Archie Manning, Marcus, and John in one picture.
0: No way. Yeah, and
1: we still have it in the house. You, no. know, you don't have that. We might somewhere, but I, I have it. And we had that. So we had three guys come out of that that did very, very well in the NFL
0: that's 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 amazing yeah it's absolutely amazing and uh one another thing that i wanted to touch on too because it as just in talking to you it's interesting the amount of characters that you know and i love louis simmons i think (laughs) believe from west side barbell you're you're familiar with him as well yep yep that's nuts
1: Well, I've met him a few times. I mean, if we go to a conference, I mean, we'll know, like, hey, you know, we'd know each other. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be somebody that would go to West Side and, you know, because like I've said before to you is that, you know, the, the, the he'll talk about training, and he does a great job. But he talks about conscient and what they think conscient might be and, you know, how it relates how he wants to do it, which is not a lot different than most of us might want to do it. But it's learning how to do it. And a lot of people are learning for the first time. They go there to learn that. They're learning.
0: It. Could you tell the listeners a little <laughs> bit more about what conscient training is? I know it's going to bore you, but they're not going to know. <laughs>
1: well, uh, okay, in a long story, uh, conchant is where you're taking the lifts and you're doing certain ones on certain days. Yep. You might pick that to a three-day, a four-day, to a five-day. And how you, you, you methodize the lifts with that day and other days with other things, they switch. And so you're learning how to change that rather than the three-day used to be just everything's done. Mm-hmm. Four-day, everything's done twice. You know, It's just a way that you make it change to where the bottom line to the methodology is that between the days you lift what you might do with Olympic lifting, barbell, dumbbell, whatever. In that workout, you're learning how hypertrophy, strength, power is all rationalized within the training. So how they're done in those days with those lifts, one's going to be geared towards hypertrophy, and another one's going to be more strength. Another day it might be all power, and it might be strength. It might be up here and it might be hypertrophy and power. Power takes, one of them's going to take the lead. And so what the scientific portion to that whole thing is, is that there's nothing wrong with the old absolute way to do it. Meaning that if you did three days a week, basically, and you probably remember this maybe, is you might do hypertrophy for four weeks. Yep. Then you're going to go to strength. Then you're going to go to power. Well, what happens in scientific, which I learned, you know, long after all that, is that there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're training athletes who are going to train and track, uh, you know, different things, football, basketball, if you're really into that that way, what you do hypertrophy, you've got nothing left at the end with hypertrophy. No. But you're now into power. Okay. What this does is it keeps that hypertrophy coming. It keeps that strength coming. It keeps the power coming in an overround way mm-hmm. throughout the whole process of six, eight weeks that everything you've got in each one of those phases is being done at the end. Yeah. So you've never lost. Too much of the hypertrophy, you've never lost much of the strength or the power. Yep. You know functional movement, whatever it is. It's it doesn't matter if it's lifting. It's just something that relates to that kind of feedback and how you go from one to the other.
0: Yep. So. I can break it down for you what we did, mm-hmm. but I'd have to use rep schemes. Yeah. So yeah. like we would do sevens, like four sets of sevens mm-hmm. for a, a few weeks. Maybe I don't know, maybe four, and then we'd taper down to five. Mm-hmm five sets of five and then we would go to your one rep max one you know like nine sets of three or something of that mm-hmm. nature right and I did that forever and it seemed to always work and oh, you just yeah. restart the system yeah. and then when I got into college I got into Pavlov um mm-hmm. where you just find a working rep like a mm-hmm. weight for me let's use squat and I do it let's say like 375 pounds one set of one two, three, and it's like a ladder. You work your way up, and then I'd always try and work my way. I would die, but um, I, I got obsessed with that for a time. And now, like the way I train now is... Honestly, I don't really there's, there's no rhyme or reason. Like one day I'm like, I'm gonna fucking kill my legs, and I'm gonna do, I'm gonna put chains on there. Like I'll put like three fifteen with a set. I don't even know what the ch- these chains weigh, but I work at a yeah, huge yeah. bro gym and in Oregon City, and I'll use the chains and this this place called the Power Pit, right? And, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'll do that, and then I'll do some like leg extensions, some like uh, other work, and then I might not power lift for a little. We'll do kettlebell yeah. swings or yeah. or something. But I mean, um, yeah, I just don't have a rhyme or reason. I'm not really running any programs right now. I yeah. probably will this winter when I need my mind to be occupied and to not focus on the shit weather. Yeah. But if you have any advice to help me get more jacked than I am, sure. dude, I am all ears. Yeah, I am you're trying to welcome.
1: get huge. I mean, take take my email, my phone. Oh, call me anytime. I'll help you at anytime. I anytime.
0: will, because I mean, I want, I want. What uh, you're
1: going through right now is what most people do. Yeah. You know, they they they're into it. They're following some system, and then after a while, they get tired of it. You yeah. know. And it's like, kind of like me. People ask me, well. Why do you, uh, what do you think about CrossFit? You know, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm going to tell you, from an athletic standpoint, it's horseshit. you know, (laughs) and they get hurt. They get hurt. I know they do a lot, and I know everything's on reps, you know, uh, speed, uh, timing, weight, all that, and that's fine. But, you know, a a lot of problems have come about from that. And, um, you know, it's a funny situation. When I was at uh, Wisconsin-Milwaukee. We won baseball conference every year. Mm-hmm. So when I first came in, <clears throat> these kids were baseball, and I was just starting working with them and having them do my baseball workout. And they were like, uh, well, oh, Coach, do you not do any CrossFit? And I said, hell no, you're not going to do CrossFit. So then I had a meeting with the coaches, and the coaches sat down and said, "Coach, what do you think about CrossFit?" And I said, "It's horse shit." And they all kind of looked at me and they went, "Thank God." Well, the reason was, is when they all got there a number of years before, nobody knew shit about training mm-hmm. for baseball, but they had a really good player that was a leading batter in the nation in Division One when he was a senior, and he was still a, a, an assistant. And he said, Coach, you know, I used to put him through that shit because that's all I knew. That's how I trained after baseball. I just wanted to be that way. I said, hell no, we're going to do it this way, this way. And you're going to squat. You're going to clean. You're going to bench. You're going to do this. But we're going to do so many other things that work. Baseball, shoulders, rotator cuffs, back, hips, you name it. And, and it worked. Yeah. But it's just how how you look at it. In yeah. your case that's that's fine. Yeah. And that's what you want to do because you don't have nothing else. You don't you're not in a sports team atmosphere that's saying, "Well, we're going to do it this way." And a few guys make changes, but overall they're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas you don't have to. No, exactly. But anytime you do, yeah, just holler, we can we can throw ideas out there and See what you think.
0: I'll be, yeah, I'm I'm super interested because I'm always looking to get you know better. Yeah. Right? I, I'm a big fan of of person. Like for years, I didn't run. I don't know why. I just hated running. But I found this death hill yeah. by my place, and I run I run hills. It's it's about a two point two point seven five. Two, two, yeah, just around two and a half miles round trip. You run up this, and this hills like this. It's awful, yeah. And that's got me in pretty good cardiovascular. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. not trying to run seven miles. I think my max run that I'll ever do would be like three to four miles because I'm a big guy, man. I weigh two hundred forty yeah. pounds, and I'm not. I just don't think that's necessarily conducive no, to good man. joint health. No. But I think anything, you know. Around that, you know, but you I can them. do
1: things like what you're talking about. What I would suggest, you know, when we talk, is throw ideas out there from the standpoint you can run your hill, yeah, because that's a nice challenge for it you, it is exactly. But overall, you don't need a lot of it, you don't need to go for six eight mile or run, no, but you can occasionally, you know, exactly. a mile or two, you can go to a track. I do th- I do, do run, a lot of track work. Where- run like hundreds, mm-hmm. walk the curve, run the hundreds. It's just different ways to do stuff. Exactly. And it's old-fashioned, but it works. It's a change of pace. Run the stairs. Yep. Things like that. But the thing I would say is that you're probably going to get along the lines that later on you're going to think to him as, well, I, I thought you didn't like CrossFit. Well, I'm not having you do CrossFit. No. I'm having you do so many things within your little um, package that affect lifting,
0: mm-hmm.
1: abs, flexibility, cardio Yeah. that you've, you know, after a week or two and you got this going, you're going, shit, I'm not doing the same damn thing every day. No. Nope. But one day I got snatches. One day I've got squat. One day I got bench. One day I got power cleans. I got dumbbells. I got this. After a while, you're like, I'm not bored. Exactly. Because I'm challenged every single day and I'm not doing the same thing. That's... That's what I get a lot of people like that, like a wrestler almost. Yeah. I train my wrestlers the same way. It's like they don't know what's coming that day because well, the, I'm going to change it up on them.
0: And a, and a great thing um, and, and a great thing also is the muscle confusion. Mm-hmm. You're not, my body's not going to be able to adapt to the strain I'm putting yeah. on. It's going to continuously. Yeah.
1: Are, it's, You're not a power lifter. You're not a bodybuilder. You're not this or that that has to be in a certain set routine to yeah. make certain end results happen. You're you're getting end results, but you're not even know how you're getting it exactly. because you don't even know from day to day. If you go four days a week, five days a week, shit, you're doing something different each and every day. Yes. You know, so
0: that's then that's kind
1: of the training I yeah, like. You so never that, know.
0: You never get bored.
1: I agree. I agree.
0: And uh I definitely did what are your thoughts on yoga, man? I got into yoga, um and I, I really enjoyed it just to fix some muscular issues that I've had. Yeah, and it wasn't with, the most fun. With a lot,
1: of, a lot of football, a lot of athletes in general, even the females, um, you know, I would never have myself do it, tell them. I would never have somebody come in. But usually at colleges, the phys ed department mm-hmm. would have somebody teaching yoga in a certain way. So I'd always just get over and get a credit Mm-hmm. to take that and take it for the fall, take it for the spring, just from the standpoint you're getting it done. Exactly. And, it, and, and after a while, like, Coach, you're right. That's, that's really helped me. Now, I don't have to deal with it, mm-hmm. but if they are going to take the idea of doing it and going over to do it, then I think they're going to get something. And they usually end up saying, even big guys coming back, man, I'm more flexible. Yep. My back doesn't hurt because you're doing what you should be doing. And exactly. We just don't have enough time. and yeah. You know that type of thing, Ex- yeah.
0: and because I fucking hate stretching, I, I don't know. I, yeah. do, I do, and I there was a guy, um, I cannot think of his name. Lauren is his name, but he his so his we were talking about a tut- or a lineage, right? Coaching lineages. His lineage uh, comes from he interned with the United States men's gymnastic coach, mm-hmm. and he started his own gym in Corvallis called Pacific strength or something weird like that and it was all the weirdest shit i mm-hmm. have ever done in my life but it was all gymnastic movements because mm-hmm. I, I had real i still do it's getting a lot better but i had a real a real weak core mm-hmm. and i man i probably put on five pounds of muscles um oh they oh they sorry i just got a little note they close, they shut down Lawrence, damn it that sucks i'll have to text him but um he I listened to a podcast with the, the strength coach and and ended up talking with Lauren and he's like, Yeah, man, I, I I interned with this guy and my back never felt better. Yeah. And we were just doing like Jefferson curls. Are you oh, familiar yeah. with the? Yeah. so that really just yeah. stretched my spine out and I was able oh, to yeah. and the oh the the levers, I don't even know. I I don't even know what they're called, but it was terrible. Sure. I hated every second. Well of the it, athletes but it was
1: good. The, the athletes in most places I've been is that at the end of workouts whether it's a male or female sport, we'd end workouts with core, abs, and different functional Mm -hmm. movements, and we'd go through, you know, 10, 15 minutes of it at the end of a lift and and get it done, and after a while, they're like, man, I'm so more flexible, I couldn't do this before, now I can do it. It's just something you have to do. It is. And and
0: that's what the what really bothered not bothered me but challenged me at this podcast this 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 guy that was a United States gymnastics coach for I don't know 20 30 years and he's like if my athletes who are the best athletes in the world and I like his argument because gym gym gymnasts can do things with their body that mm-hmm. the the general population has no fucking they just can't yeah. do it right? Yeah. right and he's like if they're stretching before and after every workout, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Why aren't you doing that? Right. And I was like, "Damn, you got a good point." Right. And I mean, if you if you think about it, George George uh, Pierre, the UFC fighter, one of the greatest of all time, he trains with the Canadian gymnastic team and the Canadian wrestling team, like the national, gym, and just just so he could get their movements mm-hmm. down. And you know, he he had a movement coach or team before uh Edu Portell who I don't know if you know who that is but um he's also a famous movement coach with Conor McGregor and that guy also has was the same lineage as uh, the gymnastics guy just I just named I can't remember his name but um <clears throat> yeah man it's all that stuff's important I kind of lost my train of thought but it's all no, it's it all is. really important yeah, you, and, you
1: have to have some type of plan within your system that's going to have that done you know like when when I've got a group whether it be on the court with basketball or volleyball or football on the field, whatever, we're, we're going to do some type of movement warm-up prior, and at the end we're going to sit down and do some type of static, mm-hmm. you know, just sit down, easy stretch. Yeah. You have to do those, even though it's not going to be as extensive as what you're talking about yeah. with them, but they just need to do it because if you don't do it, you end up with what you get. Yep, you know? absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is incredibly important. I think working out is it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart because I I have to do it being an athlete uh, a former college athlete like when I when when I stopped playing football I gained a bunch of weight and wasn't in a very good spot and then realized that for some reason I just need strenuous exercise for me to be a healthy, happy individual. Mm-hmm. I need some sort of goal to chase. I I just did a 75 hard and I was the happiest of everybody. It was a shit, but it was, yeah. it was a challenge every single day, working out twice a day no matter what. And, and there were certain days where... All I could muster was a lift and then a forty-five minute walk, but it's better than, than yeah. doing something. I'm just not built to be sedentary. That's right. It just doesn't. No. It's not conducive to me no. being happy. More
1: people understand that and understand the reasons behind it and where they're going to, where they're going to get to and be there and stay there. And you know, the thing that I look at and I'm sixty-five.
0: Mm-hmm. You look so, good.
1: You know, from that standpoint, people will come to me over the years and say why you know like a 40 year old or 50s like wh- why should i continue to clean why should i squat what what do i do with dumbbells you know all this, and you give them all these ideas and they talk about flexibility they talk about just general you know nothing heavy they're not a power lifter and they just want to be in shape mm-hmm. so they do some type of cardio and then they come and they do some type of lifting and it's different ways and I said, well, let me give you one point that I've always pointed out to people: is I don't want, I don't want people to be when they're 85, 90 years old, and they can't carry the garbage, you know, the the, the bag of not garbage, but the, the, the gar. <laughs> what am I trying to say? The uh, the paper bag yeah. of groceries yeah. up a stair because they can't walk anymore. They can't carry the bag and walk up the stairs because over the years getting to that point, it's too easy just to give up. Yeah. Now, I understand that it's it's doing things that you don't want to do, like a little bit of a walk, maybe a jog, a bicycle, whatever, and lifting. But if you can be 80, 90 years old and you're kind of right up those stairs and you're walking down the street for miles, I'd rather be that way.
0: Yep, me because
1: too. it just makes you feel better yep you know I mean you can die anytime you want but the point <laughs> is you gotta you know you gotta try to be that way
0: yeah absolutely uh, I, I I couldn't agree with you more yeah. on that on that concept that's why I do what I do is I want to be strong for as long as I can and I mean eventually you know when I start the decline I mean I think what are you, what are you what are your thoughts on the prime because I think Pat McKenna is a, another guy he does a lot of functional st- strength shit he said you your pri- you enter your prime when you're in your 30s, right? And I got a year before that happens. And he says you can extend your prime until your 40s, like 45. He's like that is the one. This is his opinion, and I, I kind of tend to agree to agree with it. He's like in your early 30s or excuse me late 30s early 40s that's your prime in his opinion because that's where your mind is is. Your mind knows exactly how much your body can and cannot do. And yep. you're the smartest you can be in the best shape of your life. And I think it's interesting with the advances we're having in technology and as well as what we now know the body can do. And then with drugs and, and what performance enhancing drugs, how you, people are extending their prime mm-hmm. into their 40s. It's never been done before. We've never seen a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees, right, yeah, that's right, playing right. into their 40s, or even a fucking LeBron, man. Yeah. It's crazy. He's like 36, 37, you want to pull that up, years old, and he's still one yeah. of, still the best NBA sure, player. Um, I'd love to know. What he, he might be all natural,
1: but he, he's probably not. I hope yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like Brady, he's just picking himself up, you know, with uh, knowledge of, um, you know, how they eat just the nutritional part of it. They want to know 35. how they eat, and it cleans them up better. That's what Drew's done. Yep. He's dropped a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. When he was in college with us, I mean, he could bench 315, 320. He could squat 500. Whoa. He could clean 315. And people are like, really? Yeah. But as he got longer and longer in the NFL, you've seen his body's changed. He's just come down to just be that quick
0: quarterback,
1: yeah. you know. And that's what they find out, you know, years ago, and not anymore. I mean, there's guys out there that might be that way, but overall, that's that's just the way they're trained. You do have right? to lean
0: out because it, 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 it that's yeah. that's actually one of the most interesting things I found about the NFL is that people coming into the NFL from college are actually way bigger. Oh yeah. And they end up dropping a shit ton yeah. of weight once they get to the league. Yeah,
1: even your linemen in some cases oh, drop yeah. a little
0: bit. You know, you have to. Yeah.
1: But they're they're quicker, they're in everything about it. No, I mean, one of the things I had and I never brought up was uh, I went to college with Ozzy Smith. Okay. And uh, gotten to know him in college and then, you know, just kind of staying in touch with him. <clears throat> there was about a point where he got a hold of me and he says, I need your help. I said, what do you need? And he goes, well, you know, I want you to help me with nutrition.
0: Baseball player. I want
1: you to help me with, you know, what we do. And we talked about that in his training for baseball, but more nutrition, and he got under that so heavily that it elongated his, you know, five, six more years for him, and you know, wow, late. really, yeah. the, the
0: diet then oh, five, he, six he, more he years, he just made a big difference. What kind of diet did you? Just just
1: general things, you know, things that he'd like and things that he should have, mm-hmm. but just made it more, you know, like get away from this, get away from that, and just stay with good quality food. You yeah, know, so.
0: I mean, that's so important. Oh, yeah. That's so yeah. important as well. Yeah. yeah, The diet's important. I think that the most sustainable diet that I've ever been able to be on would be paleo for me. Mm-hmm. Just very little carbs. You get all your fruits, Yep. your vegetables, no rice or anything, but there's mm-hmm. so many good substitutes, cauliflower rice. is sure. pretty bomb and shit like that, and that. You know,
1: here's the thing I'll tell you. No matter what you're eating, if you're eating the right things, good quality foods from all the basic groups, and you're getting enough of those things so that all your macros are being hit right and pushed and pushed and pushed, it doesn't matter how much and what you're eating. It's, are you eating enough right enough all the time and are you exercising yeah because if you don't do one or the other not going to matter that much something's going to go out of whack
0: yep you know? i just find that interesting that that's something we humans in general all intrinsically know that if we eat right and exercise daily that we'll be healthier yet a large percentage of the population doesn't follow that advice Mm -hmm. it's i just it's it's a really weird thing it's discipline it is to discipline It's
1: discipline and you know you're not going to get into that you know like i said what you're going to eat and how well and how much and all these things in your basic food groups unless you're just you know into it and found yourself to be the right thing to do if you're not i mean look around the walk down the street every day and who's out of shape Who's really out of shape? I mean, yeah. you see fat people constantly, <laughs> and it's unbelievable. It know? is. So, that's that's their fault. That's the way I look at it. It, it is. Uh, you it's
0: a, you, you. are the sum decision. You are the sum total of all the decisions you've made.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you go somewhere and you just see a ton of people, I mean, like in in New Mexico, for an example, we go to our local Walmart, and the unbelievably fat people that would walk through there daily. And it's nobody's fault but their own. I mean, yep. we walk through there and think, "Why are you like that? It's your own choice."
0: But they're not in a good place. No, for they sure, they just aren't. Yeah. One thing I do want to ask <laughs> you, and I don't know how much time we have left. We're at fifty-six. Okay, sweet. Um, is of all the years, who was? I got two questions for you. Who was the best athlete you ever had the privilege of coaching, or, or you can give me a few names. And also, who had the most potential, but for some reason or another wasn't able to make it
1: mm. as far as the best athlete man that's just hard it's really hard there's different types because of I've that. just worked with different athletes, sports, and you know those type of people that are at a high level winning you know whatever it may be. <clears throat> It's just, it's just hard to say yeah I mean there there's a lot you could sit down and think about for a while and I can give you some names but right offhand I couldn't I couldn't just say hey there's one there's there is a yeah. you know I mean there's a lot of swimmers track athletes and football players basketball players I mean you name it I mean it's just hard to say baseball you know I mean it's just what is it You know,
0: and then then what was the other one? Say the. And then who get same note? Who had the most like one just incredibly gifted athlete, but maybe never made it Mm -hmm. for some? Because I've always found that find those stories super fascinating. Like how many people are walking around on the streets that could be the next Tom Brady or Russell Wilson? That just maybe they Uh, made some. Like Colt Lierral is another example.
1: I mean, Uh, again, same thing. You know, if you're around them and you've been around them in different ways, and they just never really got over the hump and went the right direction, it it would take some thought. I mean, I really would. I mean, I just don't have one, that boom, there it is, and this is it. I mean, I could come up with some, but, you know, it just depends on what it might be.
0: And of all the teams you've coached, like what is the one common theme that you've seen in the championship teams that you've evolved, evolved of all of them like is there a common theme between a championship caliber team
1: and not or well you know um different from the standpoint of uh let's see uh, let's, let's say swimming and mm-hmm. track and field for example okay you may have individuals in some of those events okay so They're different that way, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But as a team, you know, a football team, basketball or anything else, those people in swimming and track have to have it in themselves to give that effort in a 200-meter fly Mm -hmm. or, you know, a 400-meter run or a relay of some sort. Mm -hmm. But teams and them all together is, number one, it's talent yeah Number one, it comes to talent. If you've got the best kid in the pool or on the track or on a team there somebody's got them there and they and they've coached them that way and pushed them that way. but overall, they're all directed because they're in that that way of thinking that they're moving towards something bigger that's going to come better, you know, a bowl game, a national championship or you know whatever it may be a conference. They all have that in their minds. And their minds should be that we're all part of this, we're being coached that, we're being pushed each other. So it's just the drive in these people to have that compassion and that dedication to get done what they want to get done and you know, a big part of it's coaching. You know, good coaches will put you in that position. Average coaches will get average. Mm -hmm. That's the way it is. You know, and I've been with I've been with teams that you know we weren't doing as well and didn't think that things could really happen and then things start to kind of you know fall into place injuries come better coaching starts to come along they see a point and they keep pushing these kids and things just keep going better and better and step by step uh, that's that's what i think it is it, it, there's no one thing like okay today we're going to have a great team mm-hmm. you know don't worry about it we'll practice you, No, you got to work you got to keep going and you know, there's days where you have bad days, and you got to get that bad day out of them, and you got to move on to the good day and keep everything moving in the right direction. It's what it all comes down to. Yeah, you
0: know? I mean, the reason I asked you that question is, is like in business or whatever, which is the realm I, I, I toil in now. With a lot of corporations and stuff, there doesn't necessarily seem to be that goal Right. That, I mean, with a startup company, there is maybe you're like, we're taking this fucking company public and then everyone is on board and it's all in their minds and we can all get rich together and we can, and that can propel you forward, right? Mm -hmm. That can, that could get more morale up. Mm -hmm. So I think about that with me wanting to start a business and whatnot, like what, what, what what types of things can I pull from your mind, put them into mine, and and, and execute? Right. Yeah. So that's one one of the reasons why I asked you that.
1: Uh, you know, from the business standpoint, that we all we we all see it in some f- form. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's an administrator, a president at the university, or you know, you just run into somebody that's in a business and comes speaks to your group. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have different times where t- people come speak to a department or a team, you know, or the whole entire, you know, staff about something that isn't a a sport person, but it has something that says, you know what, what I've got to tell you is going to help you on the field or, you know, the court or whatever. And they're telling you those things about what's right, how you get it done, how you make those profits, and how Mm -hmm. you get people to be involved in it, whether they're just... Everyday workers, and they're not the upper CEO, mm-hmm. but they are telling you those things that get that get you to think more about. Okay, I'm going to take this person and bring them up, and I'm going to take this person and keep bringing them up, and you just keep your you just keep the whole process of your business going up and up and up. No different than it would be in a de- you know a department or a team. Yeah, no different. It's just what's what's being said and how it works. Yeah, yeah, I hear yeah. you, man.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think. I can't, I'm just so grateful that you were on this show. And I appreciate your time and I appreciate all of your stories, Ron. And we'll definitely have you back again, man. Well,
1: I enjoy it, Rick. And I appreciate you having me. And it was fun. It was was a lot of fun. Anytime you want. And we'll talk about your training and anything else. Just absolutely. Holler at me anytime.
0: Oh, I will, man. All right, guys. and I mean, do you have any advice for the listeners out there?
1: Just stay healthy, eat right, and, you know, keep yourself going, doing the right thing. You know, stay out of trouble.
0: Fuck yeah. All right, man. (laughs) Appreciate it.
1: All right.